it taught me a lot. You, you know, uh, as a youngster, I was still young uh, in my 20s, uh, and it brings you back out, uh, uh, it makes you grow up basically a little bit more, a lot of discipline. And I was used to it. And I saw a lot of youngsters that don't have that discipline. And I kind of took them under my wing, even though I was maybe two or three years older than them. So that kind of gave me a little bit more of who I am today and all these years, basically. Yeah. Uh, Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Leadership Compass podcast. You're here with Chris and Dave. And uh, just want to remind you that we are uh, available wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, a lot of people are finding us on Spotify. So, um, you know, we just want to thank you for listening uh, and please spread the word. Um, we can also be followed on Instagram at the Leadership Compass. And uh, we hope you can go over there and give us a follow, give us a like. And, uh, you know, ultimately just spread the word, share with your friends um, and your family about this podcast, because we really think uh, that the people that we're having discussions with are, are having a profound effect on our lives. And we, we are doing this so that it can then have a ripple effect and hopefully have a profound effect on your lives. And this episode's guest uh, really does that, does just that. Um, I just met him for the first time but Dave has a very special connection with him and I'll, I'll let Dave introduce who this is. And uh, I know I came away from this one, uh, you know, really, really changed to be honest. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, this is uh, a special one for me and personal full disclosure. This is my wife's grandfather. I've known uh, Mr. Don Sudol for over 20 years now. So you're, you're going to learn a lot from him. What I admire about him is, um, he's adapted he's changed he keeps moving he keeps growing he doesn't stand still and he and you'll see with his story throughout uh he's always serving others he's always he's got a big personality so he's always drawing people to him um and he's been very successful in the business world but he's also uh volunteered and given away a lot of his time and energy um to serve others so like chris said in the beginning this is all about it's not about what Chris and I know, we're, we're learning and we're growing and trying to learn from the best leaders that we can find. Um, and we hope that you enjoy the journey as well. So sit back, Mr. Don Sudol, one of a kind. Welcome to the Leadership Compass podcast, our journey to explore how the best leaders lead with your hosts, Dave and Chris. We interview leaders in education, coaching, and business to see what makes them tick and what makes them the best leaders they can be. And now, the Leadership Compass Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Leadership Compass Podcast. This one is a really special one. I'm gonna kick it over to Dave to uh, to introduce this week's guest. Okay, thank you, Chris. Yes, so when Chris and I started this little journey, we wanted to reach out to the best leaders and find out what makes the best leaders the best leaders, uh, what they believe in, who inspired them growing up, just a little bit about their journey and learning from them. So I uh, started to think about some people in my life and one person who I've known 20 years now and um, is, is my 
wife's grandfather, Don Sudol. So we know, know him as Big Pop now. So he's the, the great grandfather of my two kids. And he's a, he's a person I've always admired. And, and again, he's been a part of my life for more than half of my life. And uh, he's, he's one of a kind. He gives it to you straight. He, Inclu uh, including the name. <laughs> including the name, Don Sudol. Remember the name. Um, he's 87 years old, but you would, uh, you would think he's 57. Uh, he has a ton of energy. A very charismatic person, and his journey is very interesting because he's transformed throughout his life into different leadership positions. So I really wanted to get a chance to sit down with him for you to know him, Chris, for our audience to get to know him a little bit, and I think we can really learn a lot about his his journey. So we're going to go back 87 years ago to the day he was born. No, just kidding, <laughs> Mr. Uh, All right. Grandpa has some, uh, he has some notes and I'd really like to start with, you know, your childhood, a little bit about that, about your upbringing, uh, who you looked up to, who motivated you, who inspired you and, and a little, little part of your, uh, your life growing up. Okay. I'll give you as much as I can. Yeah. All right. And I, as I said, as Dave said, I was born 87 years ago. Uh, my mother was very proud of her father who was mayor of Garfield and his last name was Daynert, D-A-H-N-E-R-T. So she just took the R-T off and put the L-D on and made me Donnell. And I've lived with it all these years and there's no one else with that first name. So love it. I love it. I'm one of a kind. I'm one of a kind. And uh, in growing up, uh, who do I look up to? Well, my grandpa, no doubt about it. Uh, my my parents, my my uncles. Uh, uh, I lost my dad at a very young age. He was 40, 47. Uh, so my uh, I was uh, just about 19, 20 years old. And from there, but before that, uh, I come from a, a mill worker family. He, he worked in the mills um, in Passaic, New Jersey. Um, I was a newspaper boy. I had a hundred papers to deliver. Uh, I used to love Christmas time because the tips were the very best <laughs> at that time. Uh, what was a good tip as, like? Uh, a good, well, if with a hundred people, a $5 tip was fantastic. 50 cents were the usuals. But at that Christmas time with the hundred, I always made like a hundred dollars in tips. So nice. it was not bad, not bad at all. You know, you do it on your bicycle. I had five different streets to deliver the paper. It was the Herald News at that time. And that started my life of uh, working. Um, dad had to retire at 45 because of his heart. I worked in a supermarket, uh, stock boy. Of, uh, that was my first big job. And from stock boy in that supermarket, I... Uh, built up in my life to become manager of one of the stores. It used to be called Piggly Wiggly. Then they went to the Food Town emblem. And from there, I picked up my business acumen, I guess you would call it, and uh, started with that. Uh, with so I'd love, to, uh, I'd love to stop you there. And, and Go ahead, do it. Go ahead. at any time. If you think back to those, um, those early years, and first of all, how old do you think you were when you first started working? And then what okay. values, what lessons, anything that you learned in those early years with all those? Well, 14, 14, 12 to 14 was my paper route. 
And uh, be, after that, I would say up until I started driving at 17. So that was the supermarket era. So I was in the supermarket era until I got drafted, uh, which was in my 20s, uh, 20 something. So I was in a supermarket for about eight years. And uh, there, I would say, as far as uh, learning, uh, I learned a lot from that with all different you work with people, you work with the uh, public, and uh, you learn your mistakes. You may you make mistakes, and you just come back and bounce back, and uh, uh, don't do it again. That was the main theme. Uh, supermarket at that time was a bit competitive. Uh, you had Shoprite coming out. Uh, you had big big stores with the A and P and the Grand Union. Uh, those were our chief competitors. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed it. And then uh, when the, uh, the market became a food town, uh, it kind of lost its uh, family uh, uh, makeup because that's we were all family. We had yeah, three stores. Yeah. And, you know, you lose, you lose that when you get into the big corporate. And I saw the handwriting on the wall and I said, it's time for me to move on. Uh, as I said, I was drafted. I had managed one of the stores, and after I came back out of the draft, I was uh, up in Alaska, uh, two years active duty, three and a half years uh, reserve duty uh, in the U.S. Army. Uh, after that, I came out, and uh, I was no longer manager. I was assistant manager. So I said it was time for me to uh, look around. Uh, one of the stores sold uh, what they had a D license, which is a warm beer license. And we used to have many salesmen come in and one that sold Peels and Miller High Life, Heineken and Yingling uh, asked me to come and get interviewed. And I did. And I took the job with that company. It was called Famous Brands out of Jersey City. And now I was on the road selling uh, beer to packaged liquor stores and taverns, etc. cetera. Um, from there, uh, that wasn't what I really wanted. <laughs> Before so we get was, into what you yeah, really wanted, ahead. can I, I'm I'm curious um, ahead, about your experience and maybe even the transition from being a manager, and then uh, your experience with uh, being drafted into the military, and what your experience was was there. You said you were stationed in Alaska. Yes. Yes. And well, so what? Where? Let's talk about that because just okay. the, the idea. Let's of being, go back to that. Let's go yeah. back to that year. That the idea was of being a, drafted alone must have been yeah. pretty in, intense at the time. Um, it was because I was newly married, oh and gosh. it hurt very much. Um, at that time, it was just the ending of the Korean War. It was 1956, uh, uh, 56, 56, 50, yeah, 56. I. Uh, Prior to that, oh, prior to that, you know, you get classified 1A when you're, uh, when you're of age. And uh, I was 1A, but I had joined the, the active reserve. So I was in a reserve for three and a half years. And then I was drafted out of the reserve. I was the last individual to be drafted as an individual out of a reserve unit. Because after that, they would take the whole unit but I was one of the last. So I, I went into, and I, I went in with stripes. Um, so it wasn't that bad for me. I went through basic down in Colorado. 
I went to a school in Arkansas for clerk typist. Um, being older, I was older at that time than any of the other draftees. So I kind of uh, made my own uh, uh, different, uh, I wouldn't say decisions. You can't make a decision without someone above you. Uh, but I made friends. And, uh, and then I got shipped back to Fort Dix. And I thought that was, hey, it was great. Um, I'm back at Fort Dix and I'm there for, for the rest of my, I had about a year and a month. And lo and behold, Thanksgiving uh, week of 1957, I got a notice for uh, Usural, uh, 57, 50, end of 57. For Usural, I didn't know where Usural was, U-S-A-R-A-L, United States Army, Alaska. And I was, I was, I, I what, did you, what did you think when you figured out what that meant? I didn't even, I didn't even know where Alaska was. So up, you... up, I, up I went to Alaska and I remember, remember reporting to, reporting to this uh, very honorary master sergeant. And I says, uh, I'm here, you know, I'm a, I think my uh, MOS was 7-Eleven or something like that. And I says, I understand you need clerk typists. He says, I don't need anybody, he said. <laughs> so that made me feel about that small. Quite ornery. <laughs> yeah. So just then another master sergeant comes in and he says to this fellow, Top, uh, I need a clerk typist. He says, Pseudo, go see Sergeant Somerville. And I went with him and it was the greatest thing. It was a, a we, they were, um, they were um, how could I say? We were at a 120 millimeter gun outfit, but they were going as Nikes up there in Alaska at that time. So we were kind of a leftover group and it was great for me. So uh, I was there for one year. Um, I had, as I said, we were married and uh, my wife came and visited me in the summer of 70, 58. Uh, 58 is when Alaska became a state, if you recall. And that was another, uh, you talked about your leadership program, but I'll, I'll tell you a little story about that. Um, the weekend when I went down into Anchorage, I had a $10 bill in my pocket. I didn't get back to the base for three days. I still had that $10 bill. <laughs> I ate, I drank, I lived somewhere. It was a great three days. How'd you make that it work? Was, it, was, it was one big party up in Anchorage. I mean, that was, hey. That was statehood, you know. Yeah, this is what yeah. happened with statehood. So, yeah, I I made many friends up there, and uh, I kept in contact. Now, of course, I've lost contact with a lot of them. So um, a couple of things there. Uh, go ahead. First of all, you're, you're something else happened up there, I believe, because I think my mother-in-law might have been uh, created up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not in detail, but I think that's well, where that pain is born. Um, what, that's right. Yeah, that's that's right. I I even went home, and the next thing I know, she's writing to me that uh, we're gonna have a baby. So that wow. was good for me because remember, be remember, no remember, but you got to remember Alaska in the summertime. There's no evenings; it's all right. daylight. Right. I mean, here's another story. Not with that, but here's another story. On June twenty first, which is the longest day of the year. Mm -hmm. The enlisted men played a softball game against the officers at 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and the losers bought beer. <laughs> so, the, uh, the officers, they bought the beer. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's great. We had a, we had a good team. That. We had a good team. I love it. And I, I, but I you know, you, um, excuse me, from going on to that, it taught me a lot. You, you know, uh, as a youngster, I was still young uh, in my 20s. Um, and it brings you back out. Uh, uh, it makes you grow up, basically, a little bit more. A lot of discipline. Yeah. And I was used to it. And I saw a lot of youngsters that don't have that discipline. And I kind of took them under my wing, even though I was maybe two or three years older than them. So that kind of gave me a little bit more of what, who I am today and all these years, basically. Yeah. Um, That's a great thing to hear because, uh, you know, a lot of people, they, they figure that age gives you the, the right, right, to be an authority. Um, but yep. that isn't exactly the case. No, no. Sometimes it's a, it's a more about experience. And I've, I've worked with young people that I, you know, that I've looked up to in a lot of ways, you know, just because of their, yes. their, their maturity, even though they're, they're younger than I am. Um, so that's a, sure, you know, a, sure. a, a great thing to, uh, to recognize and to be able to step and in. Chris, and you, and Chris, you're subjected to these young people throughout your days yeah. So basically, you've got you've got a big responsibility, and that's how I felt too. Because I I I had the uh, uh, the stripes, uh, so I was their superior, but not their superior. I right. was I, I helped them, and uh, it was great. It was it was uh, I you know I'm from the old school. I say there's nothing wrong with a youngster being in the military for at least a year for that mm -hmm. discipline that type of camaraderie, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, we, we need that more than ever uh, in today's society, I think. But who am I? Uh, you know, I'm from the old school. So let, where do we want to go? Would agree with you, but I, 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 and go ahead. I'm just thinking about hearing you and, I, and I've heard the, uh, the typewriter story and that you, you know, kind of sold yourself as a secretary and that helped you get through the Alaska part. And then I've never heard that $10 story. That's awesome. And I, if I had to guess the reason that the way you got back with $10 is because you, you could talk to anyone. You're very charismatic. And um, I'm sure you made a lot of friends, like you said. So then you go, you come back from the army and you come back into, you know, civilian life and you move well, back. Let me, back. let me just finish before you go, we, sure. before we do that. So now I'm leaving Alaska. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm finishing up in February of 1959. And before that, I had made different friends business-wise also. So I could have stayed up there, or we could have stayed up there, but Irene says no. Uh, I had what three offices. Uh, one was to manage an apartment house, like a hotel mm -hmm. type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one was to work for a life insurance company. Now, I had no, no uh, inkling of being a life insurance agent. But Dave, you know what happened to me for 38 years of my life anyhow. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that, that I could have uh, been up there working with the, uh, I think it was called Pacific, Pacific Life and Health or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but uh, yep. So anyway, I came back to Jersey, mustered out, and went back to the supermarket. And as I say, I came back as an assistant manager, and that didn't fit so well with me anymore. So then I went on to this famous brands, which was the uh, the beer company. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> excuse me, stayed there a year and a half um, because it still wasn't what I wanted. There was something just not right yet. But lo and behold, uh, I don't know if I should, but I will. I had a State Farm agent who came out to our apartment to sell me and my wife apartment insurance. And he says, um, by the way, we're looking for new agents. And I says, look, I could sell a can of peas. I could sell flour. <laughs> I could sell the, but a piece of paper. Come on, you know, what are you doing to me? He says, look, just, just take the aptitude or whatever test they called at the time. My manager, you know, would like to do it. I said, okay. So I did. And lo and behold, from that time on, 38 years of it, I was a State Farm Insurance agent. Can so. I ask you, you mentioned, you mentioned a minute ago that there was something missing, but then, and you, and then you went in the, um, working for the, the beer company, you said there was something missing and then you, but you managed to, to stay with the insurance company for 38 years. Did so you, what was missing? Yeah. You and, did you, and did you find it? Well, I, maybe I misled you by saying missing. There was something not right with that job. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so let's not say missing, but was not right with that job was the phoniness that you had to put up with. Yeah. You're selling your, you're selling your, uh, going to a tavern and you have an expense account. So you have a couple of people at the bar and you want to buy them your beer, mm -hmm. which at that time was Peels. Peels was one of my big beers and Budweiser uh, and uh, Miller's. And they order Ballantine or they order Schaefer. And I couldn't see that. It wasn't helping me any. And uh, but I had a good I had a good route. I had good people, but it just wasn't right, Chris. And and yeah. Dave. So it wasn't for me. I right. didn't I couldn't see myself in forever and ever. And uh, when this thing came this came along, uh what whatever you call it with State Farm, I went at it and uh that's what we'll talk about next if it's yeah. okay with yeah. you guys absolutely yeah, I'd love yeah to. it and worked you, you were very oh. successful and i'll start with this um, <laughs> your oldest daughter jane who's my mother-in-law uh she always talks about when she was a little kid <clears throat> you going downstairs and being under the stairs after dinner and working the phone book as you're starting as a as an agent so can you talk us through because you became a very successful State Farm agent and had a, sure. a long, wonderful career. Can you tell us about those beginning days and how hard it was and what you did and to become where you, you know, how successful you were? Okay, I won't go into uh, monies, but State Farm would subsidize you for two years at that time. I would call it a subsidi subsidize, subsidizing, a very low income, by the way. Uh, my first two years with State Farm, I made less than I made in a year with the famous brands beer company. Wow. But anyway, thank God for my in-laws. We lived in an apartment. We had uh, low rent. And yes, my, my days and nights were consumed by going cold canvassing in parking lots, um, motor vehicle lines, uh, supermarket uh, front stores, and telephone at night. State Farm philosophy at that time was if you call a hundred people, you'll get, no, if you, if you uh, get 10 people from 10 people, you get three appointments 
and one sale. That was the kind of philosophy, 10, three, and one. Well, you called hundreds of people, basically. So for two years, uh, almost two years, I worked out of my house. Then I opened up an office in another town with another agent, State Farm agent. And at that time, they allowed two agents in the office and, uh, because it helped with expenses and so forth. Mm-hmm. But still, it was all cold canvassing. But then as you made the sales to the people, let's say I sold uh, Mr. Jones, and then his son became a driver. So now you had him as a, as a customer. And then that boy married, and now you had another group and there so forth. And then you had the uncles and you had the aunts. And, and if you were a good agent, you, got rec- you, you received recommendations. So then finally in my third year, let's see if I can give you some percentages. In my first year, let's say, let's use a number of uh, $6,000. In the second year, I might've increased it by 20%. In my third year, I moved to a, out of that office of two of us into my own office in a town up in Westwood, New Jersey. A wonderful town called the Pascag Valley. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I did was cold canvas. I solicited the, the uh, store owners. Um, I went to schools. I did uh, some uh, driver's ed uh, uh, for the driver's ed instructors. They always wanted someone to come in and talk about to their students about driver's ed and so forth. And so I built up. So that third year, I increased maybe 25% over that second year. Well, in the fourth and fifth year is when you really found yourself. Now, I've been struggling all along uh, with State Farm with life insurance. I was good with auto. I was good with fire. We had very little health, but life insurance was not my thing for some reason. And then finally, they sent me down to Purdue uh, for a session uh, a month long with a tremendous individual. His name was Hal nut n-u-t-t if anyone looks him up i think he still would be registered somewhere he was a tremendous individual and a gift of gab he could talk and talk and talk and and, uh, he could sell you the brooklyn bridge that's the kind of guy he was (laughs) but he had he had classes that were just fantastic (laughs) and now you came back and you had a you had a um uh you had a um um what's the word i want you had to make so many sales. Mm-hmm. Quota. Quota. Okay, good. Thank you. To know that you did well in that school, you know, and then go back for another session. Well, I went for only two sessions, I believe, and I couldn't go back for the third because then we had another child and uh, I had expenses and stuff like that. So I had to just keep on working. But I became, it became okay. Uh, and by going to that town of Westwood, I, there I found my success because you had all these different other towns. And again, in my agency, I found that my people were selling me and that's all I needed. So I had a staff of three and uh, then I had uh, later on, I had my, my younger daughter and his office manager. So I had four, four people and I'm going to cover this 
you know, 38 years goes very fast. Yeah. And <laughs> it, I, yes, can I, I uh, can I ask you something real yes, quick? Yes, go, go ahead. So, you know, we're talking to leaders and, and young people, and, and sometimes people are afraid to speak up or afraid of rejection or afraid of saying something that others might not think is the right idea. But part of being a leader is not being afraid in those moments, speaking your heart. And I'd imagine in those early days, walking around, you know, Westwood, Pascag Valley, I'm sure you were rejected quite a bit. So how did, what was your, you just roll off your shoulders? How did you take that early on? And how did you develop to become, you know? I, 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 didn't, I didn't like being rejected, but yes, it comes with the territory. You're not going to make every sale. They still had their different, you know, that 10, three and one that I told you about in the beginning, that still really worked. It was something like that. So it was the, uh, the numbers game, but now you had other people working with you and for you, which is the family members of your customers. Uh, you know, a guy tells his brother, Hey, I got a great agent and stuff like that. And you go for the interview. Here's where I hurt me most, and I'll tell you a story. And this, I, I'll, I'll always remember this story. I may get emotional. That's okay. I got a call from a family that the husband wanted life insurance, and you can always see me on a Sunday. So I went out on a Sunday, and I've had this family insured for a couple of years, maybe. He was in his uh, late 50s. I went down a Sunday and I sold him a life insurance policy. Oh, I don't know if it was a 10,000 or something like that, but it was not a big amount. I got home Sunday and I got a call at night from him that he didn't want the insurance. And that, you know, I spent my Sunday there by my Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And I told, I said, look, I, I'm sorry. Well, don't, don't cash the check. Don't, I said, look, Tomorrow's Monday. Let's talk about it tomorrow. And I, we let it go like that. Mm -hmm. On Monday morning, the wife called me and said, Bill doesn't want the life insurance. I says, look, he should have, you know, well, he doesn't want to take the physical. I says, it's not a big deal. The, 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 uh, the nurse will come to the house, take his blood pressure. You know, I, I try to belittle it as best I could. So for a whole week, we spoke every day, but he refused to take the physical and nothing. So without the physical, the policy was null and void. I mean, I couldn't do anything. So I, I sent the check back. Two weeks later, Bill died. He had a bad heart. I said to my company, had I written that? he would have been covered because there was no tell, tell sign of that being about because he didn't get examined. Mm. But the, the sickness was there, the money was in. So whatever, it happened. Yeah. <clears throat> that was kind of the biggest rejection. Um, and now I, because of that story, I sold a lot of life insurance after that. Yeah. Mm. And it's a true story. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and, uh, you know, I love what you said before, and I'm summarizing, you said something to the effect of you were, people were, people were buying you. Yes. And I think that's, that story 
encapsulates that statement to a T that it's not, um, it's not about a piece of paper. It's not about, and, and it's, and these are real things. You need auto insurance. You, you, oh, right. you, know, you need insurance in your homes and things like that, but, but where you get it from and who you're getting it from uh, matters because you sure. want to, you want to trust that person. And, sure. you know, even just hearing you get emotional about that story, however many years later, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I can only imagine the effect that that would have on someone who's, who's, you know, trying to purchase a, a product that it, that it, 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 it immediately makes a connection and it becomes more than the product itself. I mean, that's that, a, that particular family, when the daughter grew up, I was still in business and she married. The first thing she did came to the office with her husband and bought life insurance. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, and as I say, I, I told that story and, uh, um, many, you know, you, oh, well, I don't need it. You know, I, I don't need it. I said, I didn't say you, you'll need it somewhere down the line. Uh, but it worked, uh, it worked for me. And, uh, you know, 30 years, uh, it was something with the, uh, clientele. I had uh, thousands, I guess, almost 4,000 clients at that time before I, uh, was leaving State Farm, retiring at 66, but I was insuring third generations. And uh, Westwood is a small town. And what happened when I had my office, uh, my girls would be the first to see the client. And then I'd had my inner office where I was. And they'd bring in, let's say, Chris. They bring you in and say, uh, this is uh, uh, Chris. Uh, and uh, he's just uh, bought auto insurance or fire. When I say, how do you do it? Now, I only saw you that one time. So now I'm walking down Westwood, uh, get the mail. And you see me and you say, hi, Mr. Sudoff. And yeah. I don't know your name because I only met you that one time. <laughs> so I would say, hi, pal. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's uh, by ensuring that third generation already and, and getting that way. And then State Farm started getting to be a little bit different company than they were. Mm. We lost our leader. Uh, we had uh, we had others in there and. Uh, as I said, I was 66. They were starting to change contracts. And uh, we, we made an offer with each other that both of us couldn't refuse. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, you, when, that's you, when you say you had 4,000 clients and, and, and three generations, um, people had to have trusted you. And as a leader, I guess so, Dave. I, I yeah, guess and, so. And you, and you have to be genuine, right? You can't fake that. Mm. People, right. No, that's yeah, one thing. People can read through you. You know, I, I'm going to go back to my one uncle. He said, never be someone you aren't to anyone. Be who you are. And I guess that was one of my mottos uh, yeah. way back when. Well, and that's, <clears throat> that's what you were missing at the, at the job before. Yes. You, yes, you, Chris. I guess you weren't you allowed that. You weren't, you didn't feel the freedom to be able to do that. And then it wouldn't be that I yeah. couldn't, I had to be that phony and I, I wasn't going to be that phony. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I mean, you retired about, let's say 21, 22 years ago, and then you kind of move into a, you know, your <laughs> community right now. You're the, uh, you're the proto deacon at uh, the Russian Orthodox. Church. Well, that's, that's another change. phase of my life, guys. Yeah. <laughs> 
Let me but just finish. One, so, we, so we we finished we finished with State Farm at sixty six, and my daughter Jane, your uh, uh, wife's mother, <clears throat> Dave said, uh, "Dad, you're not retiring. You're going to volunteer in the hospital." <laughs> and I says, "You know, I just want to stay and sweep a floor, or whatever." <laughs> so what happened was I went to work in the hospital as a volunteer in admitting. Nice group of uh, seniors, uh, elderly people. Uh, we had a lot in common. And then I moved into Jane's operation, which is my daughter. She's a nurse in, uh, in the, op in the uh, PACU, which is the, uh, um, uh, when they come out of the operating room, they go into her, her area. And that's where I worked between, the, I was uh, the, the uh, volunteer for uh, between family, patient and doctor. So I would get them all together kind of thing and uh, do that. And I did that for many years between that and the uh, Valley Hospital also. I worked in uh, in the Lucko by the Cancer Center. And then along came the pandemic. So that kind of put the kibosh on uh, my volunteer work. So you volunteered for close to 20 years. Yeah, close to 20 years, Chris. Wow. Yes, I would say close to 20 years. A little little less than that. Uh, but, you know, I could be back there again, but I, you know, just had my second shot and mm -hmm. I've got other things to do. I'm busy in church. So like Dave yeah. brought up, uh, I was uh, 56 years old. Yeah, 56 years old. And I belong to a Russian Orthodox church. Uh, I'm a former Lutheran. And... Uh, uh, I got involved with the uh, the orthodoxy of that of church, and uh, the priest there says, uh, "Why don't you come into the altar and be one of my altar servers, elderly altar servant?" And I did uh, because I was in the church. I, I was held all kind of positions as uh, controller and vice president and whatnot. And I said, "Let me get out of this political end of it. And I'll get into the ecclesiastical end of it." So I went in there and uh, we had a new bishop and he took a liking to me and he says, I want to ordain you to the diaconate. And I didn't know, you know, I knew what it was involved. I said, well, my wife didn't marry me to become a priest's wife or anything like that, you know, so, but they did. They ordained me in 1956 to the diaconate. Um, 86, I'm sorry, 1986. Uh, see, that's the memory. 86, <laughs> you're, in, you're in Alaska. You're in, yeah, I'm up in Alaska <laughs> again. Right. No, 86, 1986. Okay. Um, ordained me to the diaconate. We had just built a new church. And this bishop was from Russia. And he was just a fantastic individual. And he wanted to travel throughout the United States to see all his parishes. And I was fortunate as a businessman that I could leave my business for a weekend or a couple of days and I would travel with him. And we went all over the country in the different churches. And I was as his, his deacon and I learned a lot and I enjoyed it. And he was, he was asked to get back to uh, Russia and uh, we had a new deacon, a new uh, bishop. And he also took a liking and uh, being elderly as I was and these bishops were younger than, than me because they were newly consecrated uh, we got along well and I traveled with uh, he had to go to Florida I, we, 
I'd meet him down there because he wouldn't fly. He would only drive. So he had his own driver, driving from New York down to Florida. And we'd spend a couple of days visiting churches down there. So, so I've been doing this for 35 years as a deacon. <laughs> what a, what a, where, did, where did it bring you? Where, you said you got where to travel it, all over the country. What, what, like, what was the, were there okay, some highlights? The place, uh, highlights of that? Yeah, we had uh, the mid, uh, Detroit area was the best. We have a lot of churches in that area. So they were very, very good because mainly a lot of the parishioners were like me, uh, not really orthodox. They were converts. Mm. So I fell right in with them and it was great speaking with them and uh, doing the service with this bishop and, and helping them out there. So they were very, very kind. You never had to be in a hotel or motel. They would put you up in their home. Wow. Whenever you travel there. Yep. Very nice. Meet you at the airport. Uh, I'd always rent my own car and uh, they take me wherever and uh, they treat us fine. Florida was another place. Uh, Carolina. We, we opened up a parish in Carolina. A very nice one. in uh, uh, Burgor, Burgor, right near Wilmington, I believe it was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, we spent a whole week down there. Again, I was able to get away. So it yeah. was very very nice of my staff to take put up with it you know but it was like being on vacation and my wife too she didn't she didn't come with us she she was alone all that while unfortunately uh but she understood and um i never thought that'd be another phase of my life but it has been and uh for all these years i've thought of retiring many years and i keep on being told by the higher ups or the hierarchy you don't retire yeah. <laughs> you don't retire you can't yeah. leave yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right so um a friend i was thinking of you the other day uh, a colleague of mine was talking about their mother and and they said how active she is and she's in her 90s and and her philosophy is you, you can't hit a moving target so like, i gotta keep moving, keep doing something i and i was like i know a guy like that and uh, so so what's next what's next um and that's next. Um, I don't know. I don't know, guys. Uh, uh, I'm still, as I said, I volunteer at the hospital, but I could do an awful lot of work at the church there. As a matter of, oh, what happened? An okay. awful lot of work there because now Irene and I are the custodians. <laughs> 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 because we can't get a good custodian. So she hasn't gone out for, for weeks and weeks because it has been months, I would say. Yeah. But I go down there uh, Mondays or Tuesdays, whenever I can, and do as much as I can with the interior of the church. Um, and I got involved very much with our council, or, or, you know, as much as I, I don't like that, but I did. And somebody can't do something or somebody's got to be down there for an estimate of uh, we got some masonry work that's got to be done. I get down there and help them out or meet the person or let them in the church and so forth. Because our priest is kind of busy. We've got a lot of uh, deaths, unfortunately. Um, and uh, he sees, he makes the hospital visits and stuff like that. I did years ago, but I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, mainly, it's mainly, mainly in church uh, and only on Sundays. I, I don't like driving in the evenings anymore. I know what I'm doing, but I don't know what the other guy is doing in those cars with around their phones and whatnot. So, yeah. And I got three great grandchildren. I, I don't <laughs> want to take a chance. I Absolutely. 
I got to be there for those hugs. Yeah. And stuff. But, yeah. By the way, Ava said she wants a, a new present next time you see her. Oh. She wants a present. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, get on I'll look, in, look on to something. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, this is this has been great, and just to, I learned a lot. And again, I've been I, 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 I hope, learned some something different today. It was great. I hope I came across uh, with what I wanted to. I'm looking at some of my notes here. Yeah. Uh, we covered almost everything. Um, the acunate, yeah, another phase in my life. That's what it was. What? I, what yeah, I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. I, I mean. And Dave is saying how much he's got, he's, he's been able to learn, uh, you know, multiply that 10 times over just because I've, this is my first time meeting you. And I really appreciate okay. you sharing your stories and sharing your life with us and, and the people that are going to listen. Um, one thing that I think really uh, comes through in hearing your, your, the story of your, your life and your experiences is that you really seem to have served, um, always been serving something bigger than yourself even when it came to, to selling your insurance, um, you know, it was not about, not just about the insurance. Um, there was a, there was a greater purpose. True. Very and, true, Chris. Yeah. Um, very true. You know, it, you can, you can sense that from the time that you, you know, were working as a, as a manager at the Piggly Wiggly, that there was always something bigger that you were, that you were serving. And so yeah. uh, thank you for being able to share that story and hopefully help other people see that their lives can, can affect. Yeah, I, I, if, if, if we could just get one person to just uh, a youngster to uh, kind of say, you know, he's got some ideas there. Let me follow through on them. That would be great. Absolutely. I think I've got a, a, a grandson now, uh, my younger daughter's uh, Daniel. He, he seems to follow me a bit. Uh, my other grandchildren, Dave's, uh, Sarah and uh, Justine, they all got their commitments already. Daniel's just finishing uh, at college uh, this, yeah, this spring, right? Okay. Nice. And so uh, we'll see what happens there. Excellent. But we tried. We've tried all these years. You know, uh, Irene calls me a Jekyll and Hyde. But yes, maybe I am in certain instances, but... <laughs> I am what I am. That's all. That's all I can say. There you that's go. It. You can only be who right. you are, right? That's what your uncle told you to do. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's right. right. We'll yeah. have to do this again. We'll talk more about all your cars, too. And <laughs> okay. I can't even get into that's, that. That's we'll... another phase of my life. <laughs> that's, that's another That's another whole meeting. We'll go through your cars from 1950. But I'll end, you, I'll end it with this, right? just to, to, to weave into that part. As a youngster, I always had hand-me-downs, roller skates, the Schwinn bicycle, uh, and things like that. And so when I was able to, I said, I'll never have a used thing again. And I'd use cars. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was in Alaska, let me just tell you about that car I bought up there. Uh, forget what kind of Plymouth it was. I paid $325 for it. When I left, I sold to a guy for $350. Only time I made money on a car. <laughs> but anyway, I went on and, and State Farm allowed it. Uh, I never had anything used again. That's oh, right. So, that's great. Oh, I love it. We'll, we'll go into that you. phase. You you call me back. We'll go into that phase. I'll have I have a whole book on it. I can't wait. I'm looking we'll forward do to this it. again. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Uh, 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Appreciate All right. it. This has right. been nice the leadership. Meet, nice meeting you, Chris. <laughs> Great to meet you. And I really am looking forward to doing this again. Good. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. You got See it. You, this has been the Leadership Compass Podcast. Thank you.